Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active word of God, his two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, September 13th, we are starting a new series here on Sharper Iron. The series, titled The Faithful Watchman, will take us through the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, we find ourselves reading God's word from a similar historical context as the prophet Jeremiah. He proclaimed God's word during the height of Babylonian dominance in the ancient Near East. But there is a key difference in context between what we read in Jeremiah and what we will see in Ezekiel. Jeremiah preached in Judah and Jerusalem, but Ezekiel preached in Babylon. There in exile, the Lord called Ezekiel the priest to serve as his prophet, a faithful watchman in exile who would call the wicked to turn from evil and to the Lord, so that in repentance and faith in the promises of the Lord, they too would live. On today's show, we will be introducing the book as a whole and studying Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us the Reverend Dr. Dan Pavla. Dr. Pavla serves as Professor of Theology and Chair of the Theology Department at Concordia University in Wisconsin. Dr. Pavla, welcome to Sharper Iron. Hey, thank you very much for letting me come and be with you, Pastor. Uh, it's going to be a joy to yeah. share Ezekiel with our listeners. Certainly, yeah. The book of Ezekiel, it's its a lengthy book, its a, and it's a bit of a yeah. daunting task, I, I will admit, uh, setting out here on Sharper Iron to, to go through these 48 chapters. There's a lot of stuff in Ezekiel that, that I'm familiar with from either pastoral ministry or having read it before that is very, if I can say this about God's word, it's strange, it's yeah. unusual, and, and so it's, it's a daunting task, but I'm looking forward to it. I, I will have to say I was, I was greatly blessed by our recent series in the book of Jeremiah, which was daunting in a different way, and so I'm looking forward to, to reading God's word in Ezekiel. You and I have the, the pleasure of introducing the book as a whole and covering these first three verses, and so uh, there's mm-hmm. plenty of things we can talk about, and I guess the, the mm-hmm. question that, that we're going to consider, and maybe I'll just ask it like this and we'll see how the conversation goes, is to, to get started with, who is Ezekiel? Well, you know, that's a wonderful question, because we, we've got Ezekiel, who uh, allows himself to be known as the, a prophet, and uh, the priest. And isn't that a wonderful combination? I'm just referring here to verse 2. So if our listeners are looking at Ezekiel 1, um, Ezekiel says, third person, then later says, I, uh, consistently, the priest, but also he's certainly going to function as a prophet. And so I think we've got, in both cases, don't we see Ezekiel as that man in between? Well, if you think of a priest as the one who speaks for the people to God, and as the prophet is the one who speaks from God to the people, put Ezekiel right in the middle there as a man who says, yeah, got them both. I'm the watchman. You know, that's one of, going to be one of your later themes. I won't steal it from your later uh, discussions, but he's called to be that watchman. And again, has that dual role of speaking both for the people, for God, to the people, to God, warning them of what's coming, and yet giving them hope. So there's our man Ezekiel at a difficult time, as you said, 
living in Babylon, expecting that final full destruction of Jerusalem to come. Let me go ahead and just read the text for us today, because there is information in that text that we're going to be drawing from, as you already have. So let's just hear what what the prophet Ezekiel writes at the very beginning of his book. Here's chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kabar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month... It was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kabar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And that's the introduction to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 1, verses 1 to 3. Let's let's pick up more of that matter of Ezekiel being a priest. We find that out there in verse 2, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. We've we've talked a lot about prophets here on, on Sharper Iron, having gone yeah. through several now. We haven't maybe said as much about priests recently. So help us again to remember what is the role of the priest, and then how how is that going to play a big role in what we're going to read from Ezekiel? And isn't that a fascinating idea? Because if you say priest, then you think temple. Uh, isn't that sort of a natural combination? That where, where do you find him? Well, in the temple. But here's our friend Ezekiel. He is a long way from that Jerusalem temple. So can he still function as priest without that setting of the temple? Well, he's going to, yes, continue to be the priest who, uh, on the one hand, brings the intercessions of the people to God, but also is going to then, then announce the message of God to the people and also be able to reassure them of God's forgiveness and his direction. Um, again, that watchman idea works well, but it's really going to be interesting that here's a man who is priest without the priestly trappings that you and I expect him to have. Now, he is going to have then, uh, you know, some of those outward events uh, and such. He becomes that watchman. And he's going to, that authority in chapter 3, and he's going to symbolize what's coming for Jerusalem when he makes the city. I don't want to take away your chapters <laughs> 3 and 4 and all that are coming, but our readers know that he is a very visual uh, presenter of God's Word. Nobody acts out the words of God like Ezekiel does. So if he's a priest who lacks a temple, he is a priest, however, who has the visuals that are going to convey that message to the people. Um, And I'll leave that for your future uh, discussions, but it's a great image. Certainly. So a a priest without a temple, I mean, for... For Ezekiel particularly, the exile would have been a, a pretty poignant and painful thing, mm, yeah. having been taken away from the place where he had, you know, I assume, grown up and expected to mm. work there. And now here he is in Babylon. And so, I mean, that's a that's a pretty loaded question for Ezekiel. And I oh, suppose for the for the people as a whole, you know, what does it mean to be the people of God without the temple and without the yeah. building. This is a question not only for right. Ezekiel himself, but for the people as a whole. You know, Pastor, it's uh, let's take that in two steps. I think that on the one hand, it can be a very uh, exciting, interesting thing. I don't know if your congregation has a outdoor worship. Uh, you're in Texas. Whew, that's warm. <laughs> but maybe at some point, do you do an outdoor service, outdoor worship um, somewhere, like out on church grounds or is that only a Wisconsin thing? No, we, I'm we've, not sure. we've done that occasionally. We we normally would have a, a yearly picnic, like a congregational picnic, yeah. where we'd have an outdoor worship. And we've had uh, our Ascension worship outside a few times as well. 
Is that something? I'll have to, uh, tell you about the climate difference between Wisconsin <laughs> and uh, Texas. There you go. Well, you know, when you step outside, can you have church outside? Hmm. Um, it's different, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you're you're out there. People are parked. I don't know what, how you do it, but uh, when I was a parish pastor in Butternut, Wisconsin, far northern Wisconsin. By the way, you do this in July in far northern <laughs> Wisconsin. That's your one month you're really aiming for good weather on. Um, People are in lawn chairs. Um, they're sitting under trees. They're wondering how are we going to do communion, which was always kind of a challenge. Uh, and yet, did you have the message? Hmm. Well, yeah. You know, you did the readings. Yeah. Did you? We we would sometimes, if it fell on that day, we'd have communion, which was again kind of a challenge outside, but we could do it and, and such. Was it still church? Yeah, it was. Right. I, I mean, you, you you didn't feel like you were robbing people of the chance to worship by saying we're outside. All right. Now, that's on a nice day in a beautiful setting. And so you probably can talk about creation, do a little Genesis one action for your you know sermon. And God looked at his creation and said, it is good. That sounds good, doesn't it? Let's go then the next step. Your church burns down. Not that I'm wishing this on you, Pastor, but your church burns. And your church burns, and the next Sunday you still have service, whether it's in a chart and, oh, can you smell the smoke? Oh, man, yeah, a smoke-filled sanctuary, or you're just outside and you look at the ruins. Can you still have church worship? Well, yeah, but you've got some questions with that, don't you? You got the huge questions, not about the the beauty of God's creation, but God, how could you let this happen? I mean, this is your place. Where were you? That's got to be our friend Ezekiel. He's speaking to people who have been exiled already, and he's telling them that the total destruction is coming. And yet to all there have to be questions. Why? What happened? How can we worship a God who's going to let this happen? Yet he still gives them the message that God is a caring shepherd. I know I'm, I'm still in the future chapters from you, but God is a caring shepherd who remains with his flock. So there we go. Well, I think this conversation, you know, where can you have church and, and what, what makes it church? And, yeah. and the fact yeah. you, where is the word? Where is it being preached? Mm-hmm. Where is God's gift and his sacrament? That's the question. I'm, I'm reminded a little bit, and I think this this might play into to the way Ezekiel crafts his message of, of if you go back all the way, this is where my mind goes at least, to Exodus 3, where Moses is on Mount Sinai for that first yeah. time, and he has to, he's told yeah. to take off his sandals because the place where he's yeah. standing is holy ground. And, yeah. and that's, you know, before even the tabernacle is built or even, you know, pictured for the people of Israel, what makes it holy right. ground is that's where God is. And it, it's go. almost like what we're going to see in Ezekiel is is almost a, a, re, a return to that, you know, pre-temple, pre-tabernacle mm-hmm. saying, to, saying to Ezekiel and the people, okay, yes, your temple, that building's been burned, your city was destroyed, but God is still with you. He, he, you know, he remains with you. He's the king. You can still worship him here in this temple. And I mean, as I'm, even as I'm talking this right, this right now, all of this, I think is, is leading toward Ezekiel pointing finally to Christ where God comes to dwell mm-hmm. with us, you know, in our own yeah. humanity. Absolutely. And you know, you're, you're touching on just a wonderful theme that I think just runs biblically 
across most every book. And um, I, I wrote a, a book for Concordia Publishing House called Patience and Perfection about biblical themes. And one of my themes is greatness ought to look like greatness. And uh, you, you just described the greatness of God's presence in the burning bush. And Moses, take off your sandals for this place. This is holy ground. And God says that, and he gives a demonstration of it. You know, that burning bush. Oh, my gosh. So if this is God's presence and place, then we kind of naturally expect there to be some some visual greatness. Ezekiel is going to be that wonderful two-sided coin of that theme. On the one hand, there's going to be some really great images, aren't there? I mean, just look at what's coming up in Chapter 1. If our listeners have Chapter 1 in front of them, they see some, wow, tremendous visions coming right away. And uh, verse 4, the glory of God is right there in the visions, the uh, creature's I'll save all that for you for next week. But does greatness look like greatness? Absolutely. But that's balancing then that hidden presence and greatness of God who's going to let Jerusalem be destroyed. And I think that tension is always with us. Is God's greatness always purely visible? Well, no, we all have disappointments. We all have questions. God, why did you let this happen? But on the other hand, when you point us to Christ, and to his already having come presence, greatness has already looked like greatness. In his words, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, point to the empty tomb and say, yeah, yeah. When God works, greatness looks like greatness. There, see it. So it's a great balance. In line with the the matter of Ezekiel being a priest, the the book opens in the thirtieth year, and, and one thing that does stand mm-hmm. out in just in this introduction, and I know Ezekiel will do this regularly. He dates things for us pretty well. Yeah. But that that thirtieth year, from what I've I've read, there's some question as to what precisely that thirtieth year means, yeah. and and from what I've gathered, a good number of folks a- agree that it has to do perhaps with his priestly service. Can you can you comment yeah. on the 30th year? Yeah, you know, the, the suggestion is that it's his, oh, now, 30th year. You know, he, he is that age, and it's uh, triggering now uh, for his service as a priest, and uh, whether, I, I, would it be fascinating to ask him, did he anticipate that now, at that age, uh, this tremendous responsibility would come to him, or was it well, and somewhat like Moses, you had a great parallel there. Moses encountering God at the burning bush, I don't think Moses in any way was saying to himself, well, you know, I've been here 40 years now, um, any time now, God. No, he must have been just amazed. Oh, here, here it is. So if we allow that this is his 30th age, that is 30 years old, and of course, I know right away, maybe I'll jump there because I know you're, you're going to take us there, you got to think about Jesus, yeah. and uh, that we we generally think of Jesus's adult ministry uh, beginning in that thirtieth year and time of full maturity, and so it's a nice parallel to the mature beginnings of ministry for them both. So the thirtieth year is likely referring to the prophet's age when he's called, which That's would what I've always gone with. Okay, but yeah, you know, it, we could debate. A thirtieth age of, a, of of something else, um, but we do know that that our friend Ezekiel is going to be uh, for a very long time. Uh, I, most of the sources I've read show they anticipate a twenty-two year 
ministry for Ezekiel. Um, so if he starts at 30, he's 52, mm. uh, certainly not an aged man, um, but, uh, but yeah, so across the span of his uh, adulthood, uh, he's that priest and prophet. Right, and so the yeah, assuming that thirtieth year is his age, which that makes good sense to me, given especially you know, the context with the, or the connection with Jesus that you brought out, and the connection with when he would have begun serving more fully as a priest, according to the Book of Leviticus, that would have been a a key year for the Lord to come to him and begin this prophetic mm-hmm. ministry through Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. Now, the the rest of the dates in the book of Ezekiel, and it's true in this text, are dated according to the year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. So mm-hmm. let's let's talk a little bit about that larger historical context, uh, particularly I guess starting with Judah, but then also how it expands out into that that wider world of the ancient Near East. These are pretty tumultuous times in in that. Oh. And so let's, yeah. uh, we've talked about this with the book of Jeremiah recently, which is part of the reason we're, we're moving to Ezekiel now, but let's, let's do some review because the way that that history comes and affects Ezekiel is a, a different thing than it does with Jeremiah. So help us to help us into that history with King Jehoiakim and everything that's going on around him. Oh, isn't that a, just the saddest, uh, and, uh, just as a quick reference to our friends, uh, listening, we might run to Second Kings chapter 24. Uh, Jehoiakim reigns in Judah, but then uh, Jerusalem is captured, and, and there's our story. So if, if our friends listening want a biblical reference, that's a great place to go. Um, wouldn't you think, I'm just going to be one of the people of Israel living in Jerusalem. Uh, they have faced near disaster. God has preserved them again and again and again. They've seen the ten northern tribes destroyed, Samaria, gone, 722, 721. And now we're into the 6th century, and, oh my goodness, well, wouldn't you expect that the God who has preserved them for now 100-plus years, compared to the ten northern tribes, that God will continue to protect them, and it doesn't happen. And you can see that, again, uh, I'm just holding up here, Second uh, Kings chapter 24, Nebuchadnezzar comes up against Jerusalem, the city is besieged, Nebuchadnezzar came to the city, and Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon himself, his mother, his servants, officials, and palace officials, and the king of Babylon took him prisoner. Uh, I was just reading from verses 10 and following. Did you see that coming? I don't think you would. Wouldn't you, if you're one of the citizens, even maybe one of the members of the court, wouldn't you have been saying, I'm sure God will rescue us. Look, he's done it again and again. He'll do it one more time. No, it didn't happen. And off the king goes into exile. So there's that sad moment. I know it's Romans chapter 8, but wouldn't it have been easy to, with the people of Jerusalem at that time, to simply say, Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, in this case, while God is always for us, he had a different role in mind for the people of Israel and for the king, and it was a role of exile and not of protection and conquering. Right. I mean, so we're in that that section of Judah's history near the bitter end, you know, 587, yeah. 586 BC is that final destruction of Jerusalem at Nebuchadnezzar's hand, that larger exile that comes. But yeah. 
Ezekiel finds himself in one of the earlier exiles. Sometimes, right. you know, when at least in, in my own recounting and thinking about biblical history, I jump automatically to that 587, 586 exile and, and skip over the fact that Jerusalem was in and out of a siege for, oh, what, 15 or so years before yeah, that. Yeah. And, and right. Ezekiel finds himself in one of those early ones. Early ones. And, right. and so, well, well, go ahead, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, and, and you, you just described verse 14. Again, for our friend Second Corinthians 24, uh, verse 14, he carried away all Jerusalem, all the officials, all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, all the craftsmen, all the smiths, none remained except the poorest people of the land. So we could probably expect that our friend Ezekiel was one of those who was taken away. Isn't that an amazing collection? All right, everybody with talent. Over here, we're taking you. Everybody with nothing, you stay. What a division of the land. And off Ezekiel goes to uh, captivity with those. And it's it's at that point where now Jehoiakim, who's the king at this time, and he's only been there for three months. Yeah, he he does not have a long mm-hmm. reign by any means. No, he, no. He goes away in that first exile, and he's replaced by Zedekiah. And and Zedekiah mm-hmm. ends up being you know this I guess a puppet king of sorts of Nebuchadnezzar until he decides to not be the puppet king, and he makes that foolish alliance with Egypt. And, and I mean, we, we recounted a lot of that history in Jeremiah. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, Zedekiah's end is, is terribly tragic and, and very memorable because of that. But Jehoiakim, yeah. he, he's been in exile this whole time. And so he, I mean, it's like he becomes a pretty key figure, even if you don't hear from him in the book of Ezekiel. The fact that he's still alive there in exile— and that Ezekiel chooses, you know, that year of his exile to be the the main, you know, time marker. That ends right. up being a pretty important part of of Ezekiel's ministry and particularly his book. Yeah, you know, it's sort of like who's the king, who who legitimately is the king, and and neither one gets a, a great accommodation. You know, isn't it it's yeah. sad? In chapter twenty four, verse nine, speaking of Jehoiakim, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And of course, you're holding your breath. Maybe it'll be, be- it's not going to be better. No, verse 19, speaking of Zedekiah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Isn't that always a rise and fall as you read that biblical narrative? You're thinking, maybe, maybe, no, it's not, that's it's not good. It's, and so who is the legitimate king? It can't be simply, well, here's the good one versus the evil one. We don't have that distinction, but perhaps for our, our friend Ezekiel, the king that he knew, the king with whom he had traveled, perhaps had, having had some interaction, was, you might say, his mile marker. His, uh, you know, his clock setting was according to uh, Jehoiakim and what it experienced together. Well, and, and using him as that mile marker, then, I, I think serves as a, a at least a little bit of a note of hope in the book of Ezekiel, yeah. and I think particularly in Second Kings, you know, if you go forward to Second Kings twenty-five, the book doesn't end with the fall of Jerusalem and the death of Zedekiah, but it no. does. You know, it goes to Babylon and says, "Oh, by the way, remember yeah. the king that was exiled previously." Things start yeah. to change for him a little bit, and so I mean, it would yeah. seem that that Ezekiel, in using again Jehoiakim in this way, is is inviting a, a recollection of, of hope that the Lord will keep his promises. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it's a wonderful image, again, for our, our, our friends who are following chapter 25. It, it says, every day he dined regularly at the king's table. A regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. Isn't that a, an amazing place to end the book? Uh, it, because it gives you hope, as you just said. Well, maybe, and this is the, what the hope we really need, maybe there'll be another king. Maybe there'll be a good king. And it'll follow in that line, that long line of David. Maybe there'll be a, a, another one. Well, and of course, we could come to them and say, yep, you're right. Hold on to that hope. And that uh, root from the stump of Jesse will finally spring up. I know that's Isaiah, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a good image to, to bring here. Well, I, the king I, will come back. I think the, the image that Ezekiel would use, and, and Jeremiah does this too, would be the image of the shepherd. You, you mentioned that earlier, yeah. Ezekiel chapter 34, yeah. that the Lord promises and he's I, if I, if memory serves correct he's he's talking about the faithless shepherds at the moment and he promises that he's going to be their faithful shepherd to gather his people and to take care of them again that's a, mm-hmm. another I think example of Ezekiel pointing us forward to to Christ and that ultimate king in the line yeah. of David who will be that good king and and if I can go back to my theme of greatness looks like greatness uh, with that experience of fallen kings, who you sadly have to say, oh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, again and again and again. Uh, there creates a hunger for, isn't there finally going to be someone great, someone we can recognizably point to and say, there you go. They had that prelude of that with David at his best moments. You know, that's, I'm not saying at, at all times, but they have a prelude, a, a beginning of that hope with David. They, they see it somewhat in the best times with a Solomon and the greatness of that kingdom. And then, of course, it all collapses. But at the very end, there's that hope again of there will come a great king, a true king, with all the wisdom of Solomon, with all the greatness of David, with all the courage of a David to face the enemy of his people and to bring that down finally to himself. So, um, yeah, I, I think this, this kingship story is a wonderful one. Uh, it touches our natural hopes. It gives hope to the people of that time. We see that hope fulfilled finally in the king that Jesus is. Yeah, that's who Ezekiel is preaching for us as we introduce the book here on Sharper Iron. We're going to take our break, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Pavola talk about the book of Ezekiel, the first part of chapter one. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, September 13th. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 with Dr. Dan Pavola. He is professor of theology and the chair of the theology department at Concordia University in Wisconsin. 
Dr. Pavlov, prior to the break, we've been talking about Ezekiel, his ministry at large. I've got a couple of themes written down here as we've been talking about. One theme that's going to be important for Ezekiel is where's the temple? What does it mean to, to worship God when your temple's been mm. destroyed? Which we yeah. said, you know, that's going to point us forward to Christ. Uh, another theme that we've talked about is who's the king with, with the Davidic mm-hmm. king not reigning in Jerusalem, and there's this king in exile in Babylon. What does that mean for, for who's the king there in Israel? in Judah and, and among the people of God, all of this in, in exile. One of the, so we've got two major themes, I think there, and I imagine we'll discover others as we, as we come up. One of the, the things I think we should look at just thinking about what we've read in Ezekiel, you know, Ezekiel says that the heavens were opened. He saw visions of God. He describes mm-hmm. his, you know, the hand of the Lord being upon him. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel I mentioned this at the outset that Ezekiel mm-hmm. has this these fantastic visions and and lots of pictures oh, yeah. that you know honestly I have a hard time picturing in my mind especially chapter 1 <laughs> I, I will admit it's just hard to, for right. me to picture that in my mind and maybe that's the way it's supposed to be I mean but what with with Ezekiel I guess one of the things we should never lose sight of is that he comes as we've talked about the priestly side he comes as a prophet he's not there mm-hmm. to speak his own word but he's there to speak what God has given him. He speaks with authority that's not his own. This is the word of God. So I mean, help us again with, we've talked about the priestly side. Let's talk more about his prophetic ministry, which is what we're really going to yeah. see in the book. Yeah. You know, that that's a wonderful point. Um, uh, I, I I had a chance to, to write a little bit for Concordia Publishing House on Ezekiel. And I just have a note here to myself uh, from that, that Ezekiel uses the phrase, the word of the Lord came to me more than 50 times, and he uses the phrase, thus says the Lord God, 120 times. Isn't that an amazing repetition? Uh, And I I think by that, on the one hand, Ezekiel stands out. I mean, he clearly is a man who is unafraid of being noticed. In fact, being noticed (laughs) is what he's doing all this for. You know, he, he builds a city by which he can uh, lay and give his message. You notice this man. And yet, don't you think with those saints, the word of the Lord came to me, the word of God, thus says the Lord God. I think he also wants to say, but look through me. Don't stop by seeing me. Now listen to what God says. I'm merely the conduit and passing on to you what God really says. And like it or not, good news or bad, this is what God says. And, 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 Pastor, doesn't that continue to all ages, all times? We say to a fallen world, both law and gospel, whether it's welcomed or not, the not be generally the law, and uh, welcomed, but maybe sometimes doubted the gospel, And but we assure them, no, I didn't invent this on my own. This is what God has said, and I simply get to deliver that news. Uh, great stuff. Yeah, with with Ezekiel, then, as a prophet and delivering that word of God, he is in exile. He's among the people of God there in Babylon. And and as we'll see, we, we can talk about the outline of the book in a little bit, but a good chunk of Ezekiel are words of law, which shouldn't surprise us. At the same time, you've got people in exile who are experiencing the law in a very firsthand, you know, in front of our eyes kind of way. The temple's gone. The Davidic king is not reigning. I mean, that's the law hitting him pretty hard already. And yet here's Ezekiel to also then preach the law to those exiles. 
Uh, why the? I mean, mm-hmm. I guess how does how does Ezekiel function as a prophet to the exiles there who are experiencing all this in both law and gospel? Well, the law certainly is powerful. Uh, let's take two images. You you had great visuals. He, he lays siege to that clay model of Jerusalem. And maybe if you were one of the early exiles, you know the walls of Jerusalem are still there. Mm. Are you hopeful that as year by year by year goes by, maybe they're going to make it, maybe they're going to be saved, maybe, and doesn't he have to give them the message, Mm. no, it's not going to happen. And isn't that a great picture of the Jerusalem as a clay model? You know, your memory of Jerusalem might be of, oh, it's, huge size, of the, how thick the walls are, how tall the walls are. And yet from the perspective of God, when God's finally going to say, it's done, it's as though it's a little clay model. And Ezekiel takes the role of being God by lying next to this clay model. And no one would expect that little model to withstand, well, anything. And it's not the message. It's not going to. I don't care how thick or high, high the walls of Jerusalem were, when God says, finally, they're coming down, it's over, it's over. So I love that clay model imagery for both the hope that I know you have, and yet the power of God living through the, uh, the, you know, the presence of Ezekiel. God's going to crush those walls when he wants. Then the other one is the one we've been talking about here. You, you brought up so well, the shepherds. You know, when we have that imagery of the, the fallen shepherds, he is speaking pure law to those fallen, would-be, wanna-be, ought-to-be shepherds, caregivers to the people of Israel. Remember that the early exiles, we talked about this just previously, the early exiles were the leaders, the very best. Mm-hmm. Well, what kind of care have they shown, whether it's to the people who are here or to the poor ones who are left behind? And not good. And so while he's going to point to God as the great shepherd, that's wonderful. It's a stinging rebuke to the worst shepherds who, I'm, I'm going to kind of echo uh, the words from the New Testament book of Jude, shepherds who shepherd only themselves. Mm. And it's a stinging summary in Jude. It pretty well fits these people too, doesn't it? So a mm. couple of moments of law, whether it's the clay city or it's the imagery of really bad shepherds. Mm. Well, I suppose, you know, the people who've been taken into exile, they need Ezekiel to come and interpret what's happened for them theologically. Yeah. Because it, I think it would be very easy, particularly living in this time period, to get the the feeling that Judah has just been caught sort of in the crosshairs of this major world conflict between yeah. Babylon on one hand and Assyria is pretty well gone out of the picture, but maybe there's some remnants of them. And then there's Egypt in the south. And and Judah just kind of got caught in the crosshairs of all that. And, and don't worry— everything's just going to be okay. Those those kind of false hopes, you know, that we know from the yeah. book of Jeremiah were certainly being nursed by false prophets in Jerusalem and in Judah. And and yeah. I, I recall, you know, Jeremiah wrote that letter to the exiles, yeah. warning them about false prophets in Babylon. And so the need for Ezekiel to come and preach the law so that the people recognized theologically what had happened to them wasn't just a matter of historical coincidence, but this was the Lord bringing his wrath upon his people. They needed to know that even in exile, just as much as the people in Jerusalem needed to know it while they were experiencing the horrors still happening there. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't just a geopolitical 
mistake or well when giants come through the land we little peons are going to get trampled no no it's the deliberate action of god uh and yes while he manages all the nations ezekiel speaking to these people like you just said and their message has to be clear this happened because of your failures you were warned, warned, and warned. Yeah, I know that you, I'm sure when you took people through Jeremiah, you look all the way back to Isaiah. Isaiah predates all this by a hundred some years, and he was already warning. Don't you think you're getting away with anything? They've had plenty of warning, and now it's finally happened. All right. So these these people, too, in exile need that warning. They need the law. So with that, I think that's probably a good way to lead into an, a general outline of the book of Ezekiel. It's a long mm-hmm. book, 48 oh, chapters yeah. long. How, in general, what are the, the main sections that we're going to encounter in Ezekiel? Sure. And and uh, I'll be the first to admit uh, uh, I like the Lutheran Study Bible, so I'm going to I'm going to borrow from the Study Bible. And uh, our friends at CPH, I think, uh, did a wonderful job uh, on this one. So I'm going to just, uh, without apology, I'll, I'm going to use the three parts that the Study Bible points to. Uh, if, our, if our friends have that resource, page 1308. Um, but if not, Ezekiel's call and oracles of judgment. Chapters 1 to 24, and you know, it's what you and I have been talking about over and over. His visual imagery, his warnings, uh, his warnings not only against Israel, but also to other nations, and even more of that comes in the second section, Oracles Against the Nations, 25 to 32. He takes on a very long list of the Ammonites, Moab, Edom, the Philistines, and more, but then he comes back and sort of in good Lutheran fashion. We've gone from law to gospel. And in the third section, oracles and visions of Israel's re- restoration, our friends have been hearing us talk so often about the uh, shepherd imagery. That's chapter 34. We haven't done much with the maybe the best image. Of course, that's the Valley of Dry Bones. That's chapter 37. And then finally, uh, the, the next, the last section is a new temple, a new creation, a new Israel, chapters 40 to 48. You, you and I were talking um at the start, how can a priest function without a temple? Well, our man Ezekiel doesn't have a vision of necessarily temple as in physical, but he's got this great image, a new ultimate temple, and uh, that's going to come. So it's a wonderful uh, book, law to gospel, uh, very concrete in terms of history. These are actual nations to whom he's speaking, but then uh, a vision beyond just simply the late 6th century, to something that you know, all of us can look forward to, um, feeling dry bones, given life again, and a good shepherd who's going to take care of us and bring us into a new land. Hmm. With, with some of those images that you brought up, and in that general outline, law to gospel, which is different than, say, the book of Jeremiah is generally arranged. Jeremiah has yeah. his section of gospel, you know, kind of right in the middle. Well, I, I should... I shouldn't say quite that. There's there's gospel throughout, of course, but that well, really, uh, yeah. right? I mean, you know, the book of comfort, as it's called, is kind of in the middle, and then there's law all around it. Ezekiel is maybe a bit more what we would consider classically Lutheran in that sense, that it is law right. to gospel, <laughs> if, if we can say it that way. Ap- apologies well, to Ezekiel. So. Don't, don't you think, well, you know, I, I, <laughs> I don't know if when we go to heaven we'll be able to claim, yeah, yeah, we, you know, that's us right here. That's you right. know, <laughs> somebody will say, I don't, just, just chill there. I don't, 
folks, right. but we like it. I like it. Yeah. So with 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 that movement of Ezekiel, and you've mentioned some of these. What are and I'm, I suppose we could spend all all day talking about this, but what are some of those really classic, really important texts, images from Ezekiel, including those you've mentioned, but but others that maybe we haven't quite touched on yet. Well, I, I think one of them, first of all, is you're going to be a watchman. This is so important that our, our man, Ezekiel, is, is going to have to deliver this message, and don't imagine that you're going to get out of that. Uh, chapter 33 would be a, a huge one uh, for that. And I'm just going to run over there to 33, because what I enjoy about the, the watchman imagery for our, our uh, man, Ezekiel, is that you have to do this. Ezekiel, um, it, it a little bit reminds me of our friend Esther. And uh, Esther is, as our readers or listeners know, Esther is put in a terrible, difficult position. She's the queen. She is somewhat safe and hidden as to her identity as being one of the people of Israel. When the edict is going out, all the Jews are going to be killed. And remember what Mordecai says, for such a time as this, you were brought into the kingdom. And if you don't speak out, God will find another way to redeem his people, but your life will be lost. And so, of course, to her great credit, Esther does speak out, and, of course, everything has changed, and it's done. Don't you hear some of that same Esther, for such a reason as this, you were brought into the kingdom, Ezekiel. And if you don't speak out, then the very evil, the, the destruction, the judgment that's about to come to these people, it's going to come to you. So don't imagine you're going to escape. If you do speak out and these people don't listen to you, all right, all right. Then the judgment will come upon them, but not upon you. And so I, I really like that imagery. And I know I'm borrowing from Esther, but that is a wonderful line that I think in a time of life and death is also applicable to our man Ezekiel. For such a time as this, you are brought into the kingdom. There, be a watchman, uh, and and he is. And then, then of course, comes the images of shepherd and the dry bones that we know so well. Hmm. With that watchman language, you know, on the one hand, and maybe this is because of as a pastor, the, the being a watchman and making sure that you know you speak out, lest the blood of the sinner be upon your head. Yeah. That that can be a very frightening image. But I also think there's a level of comfort there as well, because Ezekiel as a watchman is not there to say what he thinks, but he's simply to repeat what the Lord has given him. This isn't Ezekiel telling people he doesn't like, you better shape up. This is the this is Ezekiel telling people this is what the Lord has said. And and in yeah. that I think there is there is a level of comfort for the watchman because he's not yeah. he's not doing it on his own, he's doing it with the Lord's authority. Exactly. And isn't that the good news that you, you can say, thus says the Lord, to something that maybe isn't welcome in its, its being heard, but also then when you and I get to speak the gospel, yeah. you get to say with just as much, even, even, even more so, thus says the Lord, you are forgiven. Or in terms of Ezekiel 34, 37, there is a good shepherd. Now, these people could look around and say, haven't seen one. Not, not these people, not these shepherds who shepherd only themselves. But you assure them, Ezekiel, God is a good shepherd. And it doesn't matter that you're exiles in a far, far away land. You still have a good shepherd. 
and then take them three chapters later, and they feel like we're dry bones, we're useless, we're dead, we're nothing. Again, you get to say, let me tell you what God's going to do. He is going to restore you, and dry bones are going to come back to life. You know, um, I call this the good question, the good really question. When, when you preach the gospel, and I know this isn't one of Walther's uh, you know, 25 theses on the proper distinction of law and gospel, but make it the 26th one. You know, just throw, give me a, a bonus one, uh, that, that when the gospel is preached, it is so amazing that people should ask the good, really, question? And, and you can say, yes, not because I created it or I invented this thing, but really because God really does forgive us. He really does restore, function as a good shepherd. It's true. And don't let the present circumstances, what surrounds you, contradict when God says the gospel. And so go ahead and ask really. And uh, you and I are more than happy to say to people, yes, not because I said it, but because that's what God's message is. Yeah, I mean, what a joy that is that the gospel comes along and it, it does make us ask that question really, whether even really? when we're not in a, even maybe if we're not in exile in such a horrific straits as the yeah. people are in Ezekiel, but just the, the fact that I'm that bad of a sinner. I mean, when the when I read from yeah. the, the Lord's word and then I see my own life and I recognize just how, how sinful I am and how much I deserve God's punishment to hear that message of grace I mean, it, it is, I think, a, a temptation maybe per, particularly for Christians who are used to hearing Christ died for you, you know, Jesus loves mm-hmm. you, and it it becomes, we, we forget the shock of those words, or we forget the, wait, what? <laughs> and and to have that <laughs> r- reminder, I think, is, is just, we should be reminded so that, and, and of course, it's, you know, it's not about an emotional response, but there. Like the Lord did give us emotions, and so to to have right. that emotion is a, a perfectly natural thing, and and it probably should happen once in a while that I just am stopped in my tracks by the gospel and say, really, yeah. and, and thanks be to yeah. God that that He sends a servant to say yes, really. Yeah, you know, it, well, Pastor, when you were describing that so beautifully, I was thinking of serving communion, and there's many ways to do this, your sermon and all, but you know when you. We, and I don't know how you do it in Texas, but can I just make an image of uh, you're serving communion and they're, they're kneeling, and, and I have nothing against walking by or however your congregation might do it, but can I just have a congregation, or not congregation, the, the table, so to speak, kneeling there, and then I, I've always just used the, the plain, ordinary, straight from the hymnal words, and, and now is true body and blood of our Lord and Savior, strengthen and preserve you in the true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace. Amen. Wouldn't it be great if somebody takes those words in to the depth of them and says, really? And you could say, really? I, I don't want that to happen every time because now we just doubled the time for communion. It'll take forever. But uh, just that once, what a great image. Yeah. And that's what really what you're inviting people to say, just in that pause of a moment. And um, amen. Let amen be what it means. Really. Yeah. He means it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That's really what it is. He means it. Yes, 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 it is so. I, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, had, I've had faithful parishioners, after we've prayed together, they'll say amen, and then they'll add that, yes, it is so. And it's that— Oh, and that nice. You know, it's, it's, that, it's that same moment of, of 
Really? Yes, really. It is yeah, so. And really. that, that is what the word amen yeah. means. That's a fantastic reminder, Dr. Pavlov. One one thing on, on the book of Ezekiel, to, to jump back into the text a little bit. And, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. We've lost our poor friend well, Ezekiel. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. One, one thing that, that stands out in the book of Ezekiel, I think particularly to Christian readers, is the title that the Lord addresses Ezekiel is son of man over and over again Mm. ezekiel will say Mm -hmm. he said to me son of man that's how the lord addresses ezekiel many times in in this book and it it i think it just stands out to us because we're used to hearing jesus refer to himself as the son of man you know capital Mm -hmm. letters it's not translated with capital letters in ezekiel just as a a, and i'm sure we'll talk about this when we go through these various places but when Ezekiel is referred to as the Son of Man, why why does the Lord do that? What does that mean in Ezekiel? You know, I, I think it's that commonality of uh, with the the people, so be somewhat a, a a watchman to that with with whom you you share this same flesh, and 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 such. So, O Son of Man, um, you're you're one of them, and and such. And yet I've called you out. Isn't that an interesting kind of a, a both and? The, the, the Son of Man is the one who, yeah, you certainly have that imagery of the, the Great One coming down. Uh, Jesus as the ultimate Son of Man, and uh, even the vision that we have from Daniel uh, and such. But that Son of Man would be, um, uh, well, it's, I, study Bible notes that perhaps it's a reference, especially just human being. Um, and shows our link together, a commonality. Uh, speak to these with whom you share that same flesh, uh, son of man. I, I guess that's it. I, I'm sure that someone would see a deeper meaning to it, but I'll go with that, a commonality of a shared life and flesh, and yet you get to speak my word, though you're simply the vessel of flesh, son of man. Right. I think there it's, it is, you know, again, we hear it as Christians, maybe as a bit more loaded than Ezekiel means it. It's it's hard to yeah. know for sure. But I do think that there, there is something to it that, you know, yes, you are one of them, Ezekiel. You are one of these yeah. people. Maybe a reminder, he needs to hear this word as well. But he's been yeah. called out to be that watchman, to be that, that mm-hmm. preacher to these people for their good so that they would hear the word of the Lord, repent, Turn, be saved. That's you know Ezekiel eighteen, one of a, a very wonderful yeah. chapter that the Lord doesn't desire the death of a sinner, but He desires yeah. that all would turn and, and be saved. Doctor Pavlo, yeah. we've got just about four minutes left on the morning, and we've we, I mean, we've talked about so many wonderful themes, and and I'm really looking forward to journeying through Ezekiel, uh, especially after this conversation and, and seeing these things in more detail. But particularly as as we have these last few minutes together, I'd like to just consider again, and we've we've talked about this some, but how is Ezekiel going to preach Christ to us in in all of the strange visions that we're going to see and in the more direct preaching as well? uh, Generally speaking, how is Ezekiel going to give us Christ? Yes. Well, first of all, we've got this vision right away. And we have a vision, chapter one, so off you go uh, with this one, and we're going to have this imagery of God that he is going to, you know, the four living creatures, and we have the human, lion, ox, and eagle, four images that are very, very powerful and dramatic. And I think that right away when you and I hear that one of the images, the visions of God is the face of a man, 
incarnational theology comes to mind. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. If you say, oh, Ezekiel, give us a vision of God, what did you see? And the opening is, I saw a vision, the face of one like man. I, I know these are uh, this is an image. Isn't that a marvelous thing that we know is then fulfilled, fulfilled completely in Jesus? These other attributes are fine. I know you'll take those on, the qualities of ox and lion and eagle. Those are all very good and, uh, and such, and Jesus fulfills them also. But yes, there truly is an incarnation. He's going to be that one. We spoke also about that kingly uh, presence. You know, it's the fifth year of Jehoiakim. Who is the real king? Well, don't put your hopes on that fallen king, but there will be a wonderful true king, an absolute king, and that one is going to come for all time for all people. So take heart. And I think I I would say the last two images that really stand out are going to be Jesus is the ultimate good shepherd. You shepherds are a failure. Aren't we all waiting and hoping for an ultimate shepherd? And this shepherd who both leads and cares for his own lambs, but also will finally defeat his enemies. And then dry bones. He is going to bring us up out of the fallenness of our own graves. If we look at ourselves and know that at some point in my life, I'm going to be buried. I'll be nothing but dry bones. Yet who's come to us? A risen Savior who raised himself out of the grave. And because he lives, it's not just an image for Ezekiel. It's the reality of all of our lives, not the ending, but the new beginning that's going to come with our resurrection. He has risen. He's going to raise us also. So Ezekiel 37 is true. It's true for Christ already risen. It's true for the resurrection that's coming for each one of us. So those are some of the ways that uh, he's going to be preaching Christ to us. Yeah, what a joy it will be to look at this Word of God, to see how Ezekiel preached Christ to those people then and to us still today. Dr. Dan Pavla is Professor of Theology and Chair of the Theology Department at Concordia University in Wisconsin, helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Dr. Pavla, thanks so much for being our guest today. Well, thank you for letting me come and and join you, and blessings to you, and and, uh, blessings to all our listeners as they uh, enjoy reading the words in Ezekiel. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel or comments on this series, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.